This is your host, Natalie Allport, and welcome to the All In Podcast. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. So grateful to have you here and your continued support. If you are new, this is your first time listening, or you haven't yet hit the subscribe button, I want you to make sure that you go and do that now so that you don't miss out on future episode drops. Now today, I am very excited to have my friend Corey Camp on the podcast. He's a former D1 swimmer and a forever athlete. In this podcast, we talk a lot about that concept of being a forever athlete, whether you play D1, pro, or not. Just embracing that concept and how sport and life cross over and those mindsets. We also start the conversation by talking about his experience competing in High Rocks, which is what is called like the World Series of Fitness. This was really cool to get some insight on for me as a CrossFit athlete because it's kind of similar, except for all the workouts are the same. So I think you'll enjoy his conversation on that as well as the mindset lessons that he learned through that that he is now applying into life. We also talk about the importance of vulnerability and the concept of changing your environment and the importance of your actual physical environment, as well as a mental environment and what you're consuming. I really enjoyed this conversation with Corey, and I think you will too. So without further ado, let's go all in. Welcome, Corey, to the All In Podcast. So stoked to have you on here. Thanks, Natalie. I'm excited to jam out with you. It was fun to have you on mine. So excited to share my story on yours. Yeah, for sure. So you just came back from the High Rocks uh, competition in, I think it was in Austin, Texas. Tell me about that because as a CrossFitter, I like see some synergies there with, with with that event, really. Yeah. Um, it was the first competition that I did in over a year. So it felt just good to be around competitive people pushing, having an MC, having a crowd. Um, I, this was my first time doing high rocks. I definitely was under prepared for it. I, for those of you not familiar with it, it's basically running meets strength training. So there's eight kilometers of running total broken up into one kilometer at a time with eight different workouts in between. And the workouts range anywhere from one K on the skier, one K on the rower to you're doing 50 uh, meter sled push and sled pull. And really the sled pull and sled push were what crushed me. I still have (laughs) some pretty gnarly uh, blisters that are open on my hands here. Just I'm not used to moving heavy weight like that. It's been a little while. Um, so it was humbling, but it was a great experience. Definitely something I want to get into a little bit more. Uh, it definitely lends itself to me. I come from like more of that endurance athlete space. So the fact that there's a lot of cardio in there, I know we talked about it. I was like, this is my wheelhouse. Like it's my bread and butter. I just need to conquer the, honestly, those two sled exercises. And I feel like if I can do that, I'd be honestly pretty good at it. So it was fun. Learned a lot. That's awesome. We are opposite athletes. Like I'm glad you brought up that because sled push, sled pull, that would have been my jam. But uh the 8K of running, not not so much in, in my world. Um, I think that's kind of like the cool thing, for example, about CrossFit is you would have like a sled push, sled pull. You would have one of those workouts with the skier, the running, the but then you have like a max lift. Um, and mm-hmm. all these different things. So you, it's just interesting training. And I think high rocks is the same when you've got to kind of sacrifice maybe some of your running capacity for some of that, the strength training parts is, is high rocks. It's just like one long workout. Like, it's just like, it's like, it's not multi-day. It's not like multi-event. Nope. It's just one big one. It's just one big one. Like they, they start you in waves and you average time is about like a minute or sorry, not a minute, um, an hour 30 ish or so um so my final my time this go round was 123 i was like all right cool i'm above average got 30th on the men's side um definitely want to improve on that though moving forward my first thought when i got to the sled stuff was 
did I grab the the right one? Like this feels heavier <laughs> than what I was expecting. <laughs> I feel that like that's always the case, especially after like coming off running or something. You always, you never expect that. Like it's the same in CrossFit. You come off like running, you go to grab the barbell and you know what it feels like in the warm up, And all of a sudden you're like, this feels like 50 pounds heavier. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah. It's even just the way that your like your blood flows, like your, your body could just be like occluding blood flow to your legs or to your arms. Cause it's for running. It might need more in the legs so then all of a sudden you go to use your arms on something and you're like I, my arms are rested but really your body is kind of like occluded blood flow there so then it just doesn't feel rested it's the worst right you're like this this should be way easier than it is but then it, it I loved it because it then it put me in my head and I love that that mental challenge that it then provided me of like okay just breathe, focus on your breath, like reset, your body will acclimate to this shift if you're able to keep your heart rate under control and keep your body temperature under control. And you can do those the quickest through keeping your head clear and keeping that headspace like focused on what you're doing right now. Not, oh my gosh, this is going to take me 10 minutes to push this sled this far. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like just look at it, the little, little steps that you have to take. Um, are, do the workouts change per event? Like, is it always different or is it always going to be the same? So you can try to beat your time next time. Always the same eight workouts. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Um, the only thing that changes is if you choose to go like up a division. So I just did the, I did the men's like regular, if I went up to the pro division, it would actually be the only thing that would change would just be a heavier sled heavier sandbag and I think a heavier wall ball uh, med ball that you were throwing. But aside from that, it was pretty much the same across. Oh, interesting. That's, that's cool. Cause then you can know what you train for. That's, that's the hard part about CrossFit is like yeah. you spend the whole year being like, I'm horrible at handstand pushups, train it all you want. And then you go to say the games or a competition and then they just don't show up. And you're like, did I waste all that training time? It's so, yeah, so crazy to train for, but that's really cool. I like that concept of having those staple workouts in there so that even though it is a varied, like, thing when it comes to fitness, because you're working on all these different kind of ranges of type of workouts, endurance, strength, anaerobic power. Uh, you do have some sort of game plan where you can make like a weekly training schedule or a periodized training schedule for something. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes the preparation a little bit easier. Um, and the only thing that I'm struggling with preparation for it was access to a sled. Uh, a lot of gyms don't have those readily available around here and gyms were honestly closed for the most part leading up to this event. So I think moving forward, definitely looking forward to getting my hands on some sleds and just having some fun with it, working with it. Yeah. That, I miss sleds a lot. Like here, for example, if I had a driveway, I might think about buying a sled, but it's all gravel. So you obviously can't, you can't put your sled or you could try. <laughs> it would not be fun, but have you seen those like torque fitness, uh, those things that are like on wheels, I think you can like set a resistance. I feel like that's like a good option for people who don't have like a straight place to do a sled, but they could use it. There's actually a, like a CrossFit games qualifying event this weekend. And they put in the torque fitness, which is like the first time ever in CrossFit. So it must be like their location just isn't conducive to having sleds or mark up the ground. So this is like kind of like a new thing that people could use at home. Nice. And that, that probably eliminates a lot of that, uh, friction, uh, controversy that you get with like the, the regular sled, you know what I mean? People, yes. I mean, people were saying that, that this past weekend at the competition, they were like, ah, oh, the carpet, it wasn't turf. So like, it wasn't sliding. It wasn't the sled. It was the friction. I was like, I mean, we, we can split hairs all we want, but it's still <laughs> like, it still needs to be moved. So yeah. let's worry about that. <laughs> That's true. You know what? There was a debate at the CrossFit Games one year that like what because they were doing it. I think they were doing it on like an outdoor football field. So I think it was turf, but yeah. they were saying like one side of the field slid better than the other, for example. And it's like, well, it's it's never gonna be perfect, right? But you could definitely see like people you adapt to that because you learn different ways to push their sled, whether you do the straight arm uh or you have like the tucked arms and you're kind of lifting it a bit, like yeah. depending where you were, if you realized it was slower or faster, you could try to use like a different method so yeah that, it, that's the hard thing about some of those events it's never really going to be you know completely perfect but I think always like the best athletes win out especially the ones who can adapt mentally yeah I, mean, I think it's the ones that are able to 
know, you know, there might be a difference there, but they don't let that affect their performance. It's the ones that aren't mentally all there <laughs> that are going to be sitting there just kind of wallowing in their pity of like, well, I was on the side of the field that was a little bit harder to push. And that's why I didn't qualify for the next day of events. It's like, really? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why don't we choose to focus on something else? If we do that, our energy is going to be tenfold. And like, let's just make it up in other areas if we have to. That's a really good point of making it up in other areas, because especially when you're talking about like high rocks, there's eight workouts. So it's yeah. like, okay, sure. You were on a, a weaker um, side or like a side where the, there's more friction. So it took you a little bit longer. Calculate out how long that actually really affected you. Maybe a few seconds, whatever it was. If you're really the best, you could have made up those seconds somewhere else. And obviously you can't control those things. So just training to be that far ahead so that you can adapt to that and just be that much better on the other events, um, make it up on the run, whatever it is, is probably mm. the more optimal way of thinking than to just be like, well, my side was worse. So I'm hoping the next event I go to, I'm on the better side. Like just yeah. not conducive to high performance. <laughs> it, it really brought me back to my swim days where one of my main events was the 400 IM. So it was a hundred of each uh, stroke. And it was a great reminder where it's like, I was really good at butterfly and backstroke, which came first in the event. And I couldn't tell you how many times like doing that event, I would be in first after at the halfway point, but breaststroke then came next. And that was my, my weak point. And it was always a great reminder of like, all right, I need to focus on my strengths. I can't get caught up in, well, if I don't have a big enough lead over whoever I'm racing, going into breaststroke that I'm going to get caught and then I'm going to probably lose the race. It was just like a great reminder of like, stay in your lane, stay on, stay focused on what you can control. You can control the front half. You can control the back half. You just need to be present in each one. And Hyrox was a great reminder of that. Like there was dudes that honestly would eat me alive, like twice my size. And I was like, dang, they crushed me on the sled stuff. But then I also remembered, well, I was about a minute and a half faster per 1K than they were. So like, even if they were three minutes faster on the sled, like I could make that up in just two kilometers of running pretty yeah. easily, which was nice. Um, so yeah, it's just finding like what works for you, what's your strength. And then remembering like, stay in your lane, like swim your, I always grew up being told by my dad, swim your own race. Like that's all you can truly control. Whenever we go into compete, it's always just you versus you. It's really a challenge though, when you get to the higher competitive levels of things, obviously you're trying to race to win in some senses, but I always was of the thinking, well, if I can control what I can control the best that I possibly can, I can't control if you do the same thing and we were going head to head and it was just like your day to win that day. And that sounds kind of, I don't know, not super competitive, but in a way it takes a lot of the pressure off of needing to win. And we, when we don't have that pressure, then all of a sudden we're able to actually perform way better. I think. Yeah, that's so important. And I think it's, it's really important for individual athletes. And I think a lot of us individual athletes have to, learn it from an early age because for example if you're playing basketball you're getting direct feedback from your competitor like all the time because you're going head to head like immediately but when you're doing swimming or for example i'm doing snowboarding like you are in your own lane like i had my own run no one else is doing a run beside me i have to i can only do the best tricks i can do i can't control someone has better tricks you can't like affect the fact that the person beside you might be swimming faster in basketball yeah. or football there's ways right you can tackle the person you could like get a, a de defensive foul like there's different ways but i think in individual sports you really have to figure out that you just got to stay in your own mind you can't control those outside things you can only control directly like your own performance there is no going across to the lane and adding some waves and then coming back and finishing your race there's none of that right as much as i wish you know there was <laughs> we would do this one uh relay style in high school where we, we had a lazy river at the pool that i trained at and I loved it. What once a month or so, our coach would be like, all right, we're going to do relays, two teams. 
where we do laps around the lazy river against the current. And if he was feeling real spicy, he would let us do full contact, which was super <laughs> fun. So I remember always like trying to grab that person in front of me's leg and pull them back because then if I was able to pull them back, like they had the current get pulling them back too. Yeah. And it was just, it was game over, but <laughs> obviously that's not legal and uh, in regular competition. <laughs> Imagine Michael Phelps swimming at the Olympics. He just grabs the ankle of the other guy. Um, that would not go over well, no. <laughs> make it, honestly, I think USA Swimming should, uh, or, you know, FINA, the overall governing body of swimming should consider it. Because I think that would make swimming a little bit more fun to watch for non-swimmers. <laughs> I think it would be interesting. But then when you think all the way down to like, the kids training for it, there could be some incidental in deaths, injuries, like their kid, like kids are like, I want to do this for a living. So they're practicing with their siblings and their pool and just up, yeah. them under the water. It, it, things could go wrong there for sure. Well, I think it through. Yeah. I think you're right. Maybe just keep <laughs> it to that once a month, have it as a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. With supervision for sure. <laughs> Well, I want to go back to something you said earlier about just like thinking, you know, one thing at a time, right? Not that like you have 10 minutes to finish the sled push or whatever, just thinking yeah. about like the next step. So I know on your birthday, you ran a marathon and you seem to be doing a lot of these type of challenges lately. Talk to me about like the importance of that and as well as like what you learned from the process of doing that. Yeah, well, where that all kind of stemmed from is this identity piece that I found myself struggling with when swimming ended for me. It was this notion that we were put in a box as a former athlete and it was like, all right, cool. Like it was great. You did everything you did in the pool, but like it's time to move on and, and carry that. And I was like, it wasn't until honestly quarantine last year where I started to question like, are my best days behind me? Like from an athletic stance. And I was like, I don't think so. I think there's there's so much more out there that I can do. I, I never really run before um, like lockdown occurred last year. So I was like, I'm going to get into to running, I guess. I started with a 5K March, end of March, 2020. And then six weeks later, I ran my first marathon, um, <laughs> just completely solo. That was a whole learning experience. I learned a lot. It was really challenging. I walked a ton. I was way slower than I wanted to be, all of the stuff. Um, and then I was like, well, all right, cool. I can check that off. I can say I'm a marathon runner, like never doing that again. Mm -hmm. And of course I move out here to LA. I'm signed up to do High Rocks LA. Actually, it was going to be April 10th. But then with restrictions here, it got moved to a date that I could no longer do. And I was like, well, I was, I liked the feeling of training with intention for something. So I guess I'm just going to train for another marathon in eight weeks and just see if I can beat my time. And I did um, PR by about 40, 45 minutes, which was super <laughs> cool. I actually ran the whole time. And it's a great example of, I mean, when you go out to run a marathon, you feel great with adrenaline that first like five to 10 miles. Like I was on FaceTime with some friends, like they were cheering me on since they're not here in LA and they're like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I feel amazing. Like, and I knew in my head, I was like, this isn't going to last the whole time. Like there's going to be a point in this race where I don't feel amazing, but I'm going to enjoy this part right now where I do feel good. Yeah. And keep that kind of in the back of my head that, Hey, it's going to suck a little bit later on. And then I just, it's so funny how quickly that can change. And it, it went from, I was holding like seven minute mile paces for over the first half. And then all of a sudden, like mile 15, mile 16, just blew up a minute and a half slower Next thing I knew, I was like three minutes slower than I was holding before. It's like, wow, okay. And it literally just became like one step, one step, one step. And I told myself this go round, I just can't walk. That was like the promise that I made to myself. I didn't really care if I was, you know, not running at the pace that I had set out to be, but I was like, I'm definitely not walking this go round. And I think really all of that just embodies this 
notion that it stems from, I want to be a forever athlete. Like I want to be pushing my body constantly and in doing so also pushing my mind because I know there's so many new limits that I've yet to test. And I learned so much more about myself by going out and testing it. And that's just, I think in our innate nature as athletes, you know what I mean? It's that language that you and I speak so fluently that it's one thing to read a book about something, but it's a whole nother thing to go throw your body through it and actually experience it. Yeah, that's so true. It's, it's in the action that we learn. And I think like pushing our bodies is such a great way to learn about ourselves mentally. But I also love like what you said about, you know, FaceTiming your friends and all that at the start. Cause as you're saying that I'm like, Oh, I know this is going to go downhill from here because I think I shared with you my story of my 100K skiing. It was similar, but I think it's there's so much value in actually enjoying that start, especially if you've done the marathon, you know, it's not going to last that same feeling. But a lot of people, they'll go through it and they'll say they'll they'll focus on the fact that like, okay, I'm going to hit the wall. I'm going to hit the wall. When is it going to happen? Like, let me just think about that point. Well, then at the end of the day, you've spent the whole entire time either in that point of suffering, uh, like in that last half or thinking about it. Right. Or like focusing on that. So when at the end of the day, you look at the run, you're like, I did not enjoy this at all versus if you like just be where you are now. And if you're enjoying this moment now live in that, especially knowing that it could change, because then when you do look back, you're like, yeah, of course, that last half sucked. But like the first half was was so good. And so rather than, you know, having this empty cup at the end, you at least had this different varying uh, experience. Yeah. And if you're spending that first bit where you do actually feel good, just worrying about, well, like, when is this going to go wrong? I know this is going to blow up at some point. And a lot of us go through life like that, right? We, some of us struggle when things are going really, really well. We start to self-sabotage and we start to be like, okay, like, I've been having a great streak of business. Like, when am I going to lose it all? Like, when's, when's it going to change? And when we start to do that, we're actually subconsciously inviting those things in and making the likelihood of that happening tenfold. So yeah, like if you're going into a marathon knowing like it's going to suck at mile, whatever, because no matter what you, how much you train or how good you are, everyone hits that wall at some point where they need to push through it. I mean, even the world record holder at two hours experiences that. And it's not, it's no slight on him being a a bet, like a not great runner. He still is, but you need to have that emotional and mental energy in reserve to power through that. And if you're just spending time in the beginning, constantly worrying about when it's going to happen, you're expending those resources way too early on, whether you know it or not. So that when that wall does come, you're going to be way more in your head than the people that are going to be able to power through it. Yeah. I think that applies to everything in life, like whether someone's an athlete or not, like whatever, whether they're pursuing something in business or just like their everyday life It's like celebrate those small wins and like be in the present moment for them because otherwise you're going to have good and bad days. And if you don't, you know, enjoy those highs, then when those lows hit, it's like, you're constantly there because your mind is still thinking about it, even when you're in that high point. Um, And so just accepting that we do have highs and lows in life and like, just accept them as they come and live in the moment through both. Mm. Yeah. You have to be able to recognize process and release both of those. Right. So when you're in the lows, like, I still get sad. Like I still get angry. I still get frustrated. All of these lower vibe feelings that some people will tell you like, Oh, don't spend time in them. (laughs) Okay. To like spend time in them. It's okay to feel those feelings. It's part of just being human. Uh, And in fact, you should celebrate that you're feeling those things because you're only going to be able to feel the extent of your wins to the extent that you're able to feel like the lower points. So it's okay to, to be able to feel sad, anxious, a little depressed, like whatever that may be, just find healthy ways to release those and express them. And then if you do that, then you're able to celebrate the wins so much more. And that's when life becomes just really, really fun, I think. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's it's human to have these different emotions, right? Like we're not robots. We can't just program out our low days or yeah. low emotions. But I, I've definitely found that like fighting it makes it last longer. Like if you're feeling really anxious and you just keep fighting that, it's like all of a sudden that anxiety leads into the next day. It bleeds into the next week. But if you just accept it and be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm feeling anxious right now. Why is that? And like, let me just sit with this for a while, all of a sudden, like you can bounce back pretty quickly compared to if you're just fighting it and denying it for a long time and just trying to mask it. Yeah, exactly. I'd I'd love to have that conversation of how athletics plays a role in it, because I think the downside of growing up an athlete sometimes is we were conditioned to say, oh, you're feeling anxious. Throw that aside. It's game time. (laughs) We got to be we got to be on. So I think that's why in that transition out, a lot of people struggle of, well, I was told just suppress that emotion. (laughs) It's time to perform. And I think to some extent, like peak performance needs that, like we need to power through it at times, but we have to also understand like, maybe we're going about it wrong. Maybe if we express those things and just give it the space and recognize like, Hey, I'm feeling anxious in this moment leading up to a sporting event, leading up to a business meeting or something. Why is that? And like sit with it for a second. And then you're able to just say, okay, cool. This is a part of me, but it's not me. Like I'm not an anxious person. I'm just feeling anxious right now. There's nothing wrong with that. And once you can acknowledge that, it almost just goes away. Yeah. I think it's important to learn those tools as an athlete. Cause like you said, then it's, it's cause we do learn to just push through it and ignore that. Right. And not sit with it. And so then when we try to do that in normal, I say normal life, but like when we're not peaking for a competition, we don't have a game day every few days or whatever it is, or a meet every couple weekends. Yeah. Like how do we actually um, learn to deal with those feelings and not just push through because often then it does come up in signs of, you know, a major burnout or a major breakdown, uh, or, you know, mental illness or sustained depression or anxiety or whatever it is. Um, so what would you say that like current athletes could do to kind of work through that, where it's not taking away from the performance, they still might have those moments where they have to push through, but they're able to best prepare themselves to both perform and, you know, live and handle stress and emotions and everyday life. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think it just starts with having conversations and like identifying people in your life that truly support you and they understand, um, or maybe not even, they don't even have to understand you, but just they they hear you. And I think a lot of times that's what people are looking for. They're not looking for sympathy. They're just looking to be heard. And just like acknowledgement of like, hey, like I I love Kevin Love, for example, in the NBA and how he's come forth and said like he's dealing with all this anxiety and pressure to perform at, you know, the highest level in basketball. And it's wild to see some of the responses are, well, easy for you to say, like you're playing, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars. You're a superstar in the league, like just shut up and dribble or whatever, you know, that might be, but it's like, wait a second. What if Kevin is able to say that to a teammate or someone in his support system earlier on in his career? I don't think it would ever have to get to the point that he was at now, you know what I mean? Where it was quite literally being this physical reaction to this anxiety and causing all these health issues like if we can have healthier releases when it's earlier on, like, and it starts, I honestly think at that youth level, if we can keep the focus on let's have fun. And that's, I know what a lot of people don't want to hear when they're highly competitive. Right. But flow state, the zone stems from having fun and feeling like we have a sense of control and novelty and all this other stuff. So we as leaders, coaches can implement keeping things fun. Then all of a sudden we're able to handle those emotions a little bit more. We're priming our mind and body for that zone. 
And if we have that community around us where we can just say, hey, look, I'm not okay today. Like this happened at school or this is happening in my family dynamic and it's affecting me in X, Y, and Z. Like I'm a little sad. Like normalize those kind of conversations instead of, hey, how are you? I'm good. Like, let's go to practice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's the most important is normalizing those sort of conversations and creating a safe place. Because, for example, when I was competing in snowboarding, I just didn't feel like I had a safe place to talk to people about that because I was like, I need to impress the coaches to make sure I get chosen for the national team again next year. Mm. I need to uh, like we have a sports psychologist, but like, do I know if this is going to relay back into you know, is Natalie like mentally all there for the next season or whatever it is um, versus if we had like an environment and this is not a knock on my coaches, they're amazing people. But if we had like, say we train coaches to, from an early age to like be preemptive about these conversations, like have a weekly check-in with all the athletes where you like really diving into those things and giving them a place to talk and feel heard because it is really hard for someone who is suffering or going through these things to just you know, come out and talk to someone about it, especially if they don't know how that person will react and how it will affect them or, you know, everything, their, their environment and all these different things versus if like someone comes and like purposefully creates a space for that to happen. It's just a game changer for people to be able to open up. Yeah. I mean, that vulnerability has to be there and our ability to be vulnerable, which is kind of an oxymoron for athletes, right? Like, we never want to show our cards to our competitors and say like, oh, like this is what I'm dealing with. This is my weak spot, weak points. Cause then they're going to take advantage of that. And I've definitely done that to other competitors in my career where it's like, oh, I identified like if I got out fast, even though that wasn't originally my game plan, but I just knew if I got out fast, I would get in their head and they would yeah. give up like, awesome. I'm going to play to that. And more times than not, it would work. But I think you're right. Being vulnerable, having those conversations and it's got to be so in a container where that little fear or any notion that your playing time is going to be affected by it or your livelihood for a lot of people, especially at the national team and pro level, right? Like if you're not playing, your livelihood's affected. You're not making money and that's going to cause more financial burden and stress and probably amplify these feelings that you're feeling already because you're you're not able to fully let go of them because you know back back in the back of your head you're like okay I can't share all of this because if mm-hmm. I do this might happen but it's the most freeing thing if we're able to lean into that be vulnerable and find a space that allows that it's like if you're going to try to jump I mean, you know it if you do high jumps and all this stuff like if you try to go jump and you leave one toe on the ground you're not going to be jumping very high you know what i mean but if you jump with every ounce of your body it's amazing how much higher you can soar that's exactly what vulnerability does is it allows you to fully commit to letting go of that emotion and freeing your body in doing so Mm, yeah, that that's so important. And I love what you said uh, about kind of like how athletes like to keep their cards close, right? Not expose their weaknesses to competitors. And it's so true. Like what you said with getting in, into the head, for example, my dad was a hockey coach, my brother's team, and they knew this one kid from school. He was friends with my brother. He was on the other team. They're like, if we hit him early in the game, we know like that will either like there's one player who would fire him up and he would score. So they would like try to get someone on the other team to kind of hit him because then he would go off or other people who they would get hit and then they would kind of like cower and not, you know, play as well. Right. Or for example, if I was going into a sprint workout, that's really painful. And then you have like a minute rest and something else in training. I'm sure I'll be laying on the ground for that minute. But when it comes to competition, there's no way I'm even looking tired. And so it was like, if I can go out and win that first event and not even look tired, the other people are going to be like, okay, wow. Like she's just going to crush us in the next ones. Right. But I think what's important is recognizing the difference between mental health and like the vulnerability side of that versus like mental performance, because Mm. I think for some athletes, for sure, their mental health affects 
that mindset in performance, but for some of them, they can get still the mental toughness to push through a hard workout to, um, you know, play really well in the game, but then their life is suffering outside of that. And if they can deal with that, that'll even help them further in that other side. But it's not like you're exposing a mindset weakness to your competitors by opening up about your mental health. Cause you can still push through workouts like the rest of them, but mm-hmm. it's like this other aspect is affecting your training, your day-to-day, your sleep, your, all these other things. So I think recognizing that difference with athletes, because then they understand they can open up about their mental health and be vulnerable. And that's not, that's not a weakness. Like if I know for me, for example, and I'm sure it's not the same for everybody, but if someone at a CrossFit competition, when I was really dealing with anxiety or depression, they like brought that up, for example, like sure that would bother me, but it wouldn't take away from like the mental toughness of like pushing mm-hmm. the workout. Like it might've actually fired me up more because I'd probably be like triggered or, or angry in a sense uh, about it. And so I think, yeah, we think we need to create like that safe place so that athletes understand that it isn't weak to open up about those things. And it's actually strong to go and seek help about those things or even to like go get therapy, whether you're dealing with a mental illness or not, like that's just something that can help you in your life. And it shouldn't be looked down as like a weakness or like a spot to be exploited. Yeah, I think a couple of things came to mind there. One, it's like the mental toughness piece is like, it should be a switch that we should be able to turn on and off. Like it's a superpower when we allow it to be, but it's going to be our Achilles heel on this other area. So allow it to be your superpower when you're in competition, when you're in the environments that need it, because that's going to be what separates you from the average Joe on the street. And that's what makes you you as an athlete. But in the same breath, you need to be able to turn that off when it comes time to dropping the ego and accepting help or asking for help. Um, to your point there, it's like we should normalize getting therapy when you don't quote unquote need therapy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it shouldn't ever have to be hopefully in the future to a point where you're so far gone that like therapy is the only way. Like what if what if that was just a normal thing? Like we just, we had a therapist that we go to. And I try to speak on that a lot. Like during my time at Delaware, when I was quote unquote doing really well in the pool, like I was dealing with a lot of internal identity stuff of, well, what am I beyond swimming? My career that I wanted to go into was physical therapy. My GPA wasn't there to do it. So I was feeling all this just, resentment towards swimming because I was like, well, swimming is preventing me from getting the grades to get the career that I wanted. And it was like, man, from the outside, no one really knew that I was like struggling with anything. So I I wanted to be very vocal. And I started seeing a, a therapist at school and just sharing like, this is what I'm dealing with. And it was honestly just so refreshing to share it with someone who didn't have an objective point of view of it. Like they didn't, they didn't say, well, you shouldn't be feeling that way. Like you have all these records at the school and like you're placing really well. And I'm like, but my value isn't determined by the records and the placing. Like my value should be determined by how I'm actually feeling about myself. And they actually, they got it versus I couldn't really at the time share that with teammates because they didn't fully understand. So I think... I think it's good. The past year has really shifted us as a collective conscious society towards normalizing these conversations. I love having them on these kind of platforms. So I appreciate like what you're doing and creating here because I think it really is. I hope people hear this stuff and they feel connected to just say, all right, cool. Like I can go share this and it doesn't, I don't have to have crippling anxiety or severe depression to go get a therapist. Like I can just be a normal athlete or normal person. And I still need to have that conversation with someone that's not objective. Yeah. Uh, I think these conversations are so important because that's where like change happens. Mm -hmm. And I think you're onto something with like saying like everyone should just go to therapy and have it. And obviously, I mean, that's something that I think should be worked towards is where therapy is just recognize those health and everyone has access to therapy. Like for example, up here, 
we do have like kind of free healthcare. We have very high taxes, but it pays for our, our healthcare uh, system. But like going to go see a psychologist is still going to cost two, $300 an hour it can cost. And that's mm. usually not covered. Perhaps you have some sort of work insurance through your parents or you get it yourself or whatever. Maybe it covers a portion. But I remember even when I came out of snowboarding, I was like, okay, I have some savings left from my time, but most of my money was right reinvested right into my snowboarding. And I was like, I can't afford to spend like two, $300 a week on a therapist. And like, mm. I was very lucky that my parents were able to try to help out and we had some insurance plans, but I know, especially people in the States, um, as well as up here, it's even probably even less covered down in the States with the kind of healthcare that you guys have. So I would love to see the day where you know, from an early age, everyone, regardless if you're living like the dream life externally or whatever it is, has someone to talk to. Maybe it's like once a month or maybe for some people it's once a week. But imagine if we just had this third objective third party that we can go and talk to, regardless of if, you know, our friends and family are having these conversations too. I think that would be game changer. I mean, I'm sure just like we have good and bad coaches and good and bad teachers, it'll be good and bad therapists, but like overall yeah. everyone having this just like safe place that they go once a month, maybe to just let some feelings, emotions and conversation happen would be so healthy for society in general. Yeah. And I think going into it, the notion of like, this is actually gonna make you stronger in the long run. Like it's not a weakness. It's actually a strength. If you can have that space that should encourage a lot of people to be open, to share and explore. I mean, my hope is one day you can just walk into a therapist office and people don't look at you and like, okay, like what's going on with Natalie? Yeah. Why, is she, why is she stopping there um, of all places? Like, why can't it just be like another doctor's office or the grocery store? Like even just something that we all go, go to and go do. And I think it will be a few years. Maybe we won't see it in our lifetime, but I think it's moving towards that area because I think people as a society are starting to realize the importance that mental health really plays in our overall just well-being and our overall quality of life. Yeah. And I think when you even look just culturally, societally, even at the survival of our species, what do we really need? Do we need a new Amazon? Do we need a new type of car. I think like what we collectively need is healing. Like mm -hmm. we see in all parts of the world, we're fighting each other. We can't even agree on how much money to spend, which money is a concept that we made up, right? We put value into money. Like it's not, it's just a made up concept in a sense. It's like a, a belief system. Mm -hmm. uh, and we argue with other countries saying we don't have enough money to save our planet which is then we can't do anything else. So it's like, we argue about these things that would save our whole species because of like this fight to win or to be better or like these belief systems that we've created. So like when I look at the world, I'm like, what do we really need? And it's like healing. So imagine if we could all just go and be our best and feel free of judgment to get the help that we need or whatever it is, or regardless if we need help or just a way to even be better and show up and help others, whatever that is. I think that like this planet would just be such a better place. Like, like it, it seems silly, like to think maybe be like some utopia, but I think there'd be some drastic changes in just how society works, the equality in the world, the wars that we have, like things would be different. Oh, 100%. I mean, if we can ever get politicians to drop their ego, I think that's, that's where it really starts, right? Like even collective countries, like I look at the US, for example, like it's hard to find another country that has a bigger ego than the US, you know, and this belief that we're the greatest country in the world. And if we're able to just drop that for a second and be like, huh, maybe our, like our neighbors up north in Canada are doing some really cool stuff with this universal healthcare system. Like maybe we should uh, check out that sometime and be open to learning from it instead of like our way is the, the best way. It's the, the only way. Yeah. If we're able to, collectively as a society open up and be just open to some new ideas, new ways of thinking, total game changer. Yeah. And I think it's also just big picture thinking. Like a lot of people don't think the bigger picture and we think mm -hmm. like, oh, well, 200 years ago, someone or hundred years ago, someone wrote on a piece of paper, this is how things are always going to be done. So this is how we have to do it. And I was like, in a hundred years from now, we're going to think that's so stupid. 
And like 500 years from now, we're going to be like, what the hell? Like we've changed every hundred years to something different or every decade. I was, I was watching a podcast clip, I think last night or this morning. And it was saying like the, it was Neil deGrasse Tyson on the Joe Rogan podcast. I think it was just this morning. And he was saying that, think about like the car industry in Mm -hmm. the early 1900s, everything was built around horses. There's like the whole world relied on horses, carriages, there's companies building all like the wheels for the carriages. It only took like a couple decades, everything was cars. And then like, so like everything will now maybe become like self-driving cars or like, and then there'll be a new thing. And it just seems so crazy that we're like, well, this is the way we've always done it. We can't change. And, uh, mm. but I think that the pandemic even has accelerated some of those changes and made people realize that no, things can change pretty quickly. And um, I mean, even for the generation above us, things change a lot in their lives. Like when I think about my parents and how they had parents that went to war even, and then mm-hmm. they had uh, then they had the invention of computers and they were massive. And then all the way down to now they, we have cell phones. I'm like, wow, I would be thinking how crazy is that to see that progress in a lifetime. So I hope we see progress on, you know, the mental front of things too. And I think it will, like the more these conversations go that direction, I think it definitely will. It's refreshing to see the innovation that happens in all these under industries. And there's no reason why it can't also, you know, overtake and innovate this side of things. It just needs to quite honestly show the importance of it. And I think this past year might have been the catalyst that we needed as a collective world to start that conversation seriously instead of it just being like these whispers in different pockets of the world now all of a sudden this was the the great thing quote unquote i'm not saying covid was you know a blessing but you know for the first time in a a very very long time the world had one common like enemy so to speak you know what i mean and it was able to unite all of these different countries, we were all facing this and being impacted by it pretty much the same. Um, And that hasn't happened in a while. So I think in doing so, we can start to maybe, hopefully these connections that have been made across borders, across political parties, whatever, like continue um, as change starts to happen in the mental space too. Yeah, yeah, I think like giving up the stability and the comfort that we we were used to, everyone had to make some sacrifices in those areas around the world, I think has made people realize, hopefully, I mean, for some people not, because I know that there were stats on like the stimulus checks and how much of that went into like e-commerce and just buying clothes and whatever. But I think for many, like we started to realize like, is working how we were before, you know, just for some extra dollars that we just do to flex on our neighbors with a better car or whatever it is worth it. Or is it like our mental wellness, our relationships, are those things more important? Um, And so I think like people are recognizing some of those differences. Some people not, some people yes, but you know, more of a shift that direction at least. Yeah, you you just reminded me of, um, do you know Mike Posner, the, the artist? Right. Yeah. He has a like poetry album, which is actually one of my favorites. And one of them is about uh, perfect. And basically he says, we spend so much time trying to get perfect, taking our heart, trying to build the perfect body around it, putting it in the perfect clothes, putting it in the perfect car, parking it in the perfect garage, attached to the perfect house that's better than our neighbor's that we just forget about where we all started. And that's that around that heart. So if we can start to put our heart first and what that needs and what really listen to that, that's really the secret to getting perfect is realizing you already are perfect. And we all are. We just need to start listening to this thing a little bit more. Hmm. Yes. That's awesome. I, I love that. So I want, I want to dive into a big change that you made during yeah. uh, COVID as you moved to LA. Uh, what has, I, I'm curious of like, what has that external changing your external environment done for you when it comes to just like well-being and all these things? Because I think people do overlook like location, weather, the people you have around you. Like we think, oh, well, especially now with everyone working from home, it's like, I can just do this like lone wolf 
by myself, whatever. But we forget that actually having that external environment does make a big difference, whether it's down to the weather of that day or just making a big move. So how has that affected you and what have you learned about that process? I love that. And actually perfect transition because it stems from me just listening to my heart and like what that wanted. And what I was seeing was I needed a shift in my environment. Um, I put up something yesterday on social media about fuel and I was, we, we as athletes know fuel to be like the food that we're eating, the sleep that we're getting, like, yes, that's important. But I was making this argument of, well, I think the people that we surround ourselves with, the physical environment that we put ourselves in, the books that we're reading, the podcasts we listen to, all of that stuff is also fuel to our soul. And what I've noticed since moving here is I've just found a higher quality fuel source than I was getting in my old environment. I grew up outside of DC and I, I love it there. But I was within this bubble. Like I went to Delaware, which is only about an hour and a half away from my hometown and then came back and I lived within this area for 25 years. And I was like, I, I need to mix things up. I need to take a leap. And in doing so, I've noticed that almost each week I've found like a new level, like creativity has been just flowing out of me. Ideas that I never thought would be brought to light as fast as they have are like coming in twice the speed. And I think a lot of that is just because I've put myself in the right environment for me. Like I know I, I operate really well when I'm near water and I can get outside and I can explore nature and tap in. Like I started, one of my favorite things that I've been doing here, I just started in the past month is this Wednesday morning meetup group free for uh, former athletes in the LA area. We just meet up on the sand. We play games for 45 minutes. <laughs> like it's so fun. We play tag. We, uh, I was talking to one of the other people, like we're going to grab some flag football stuff and just like play flag football one of these days. And then we, we go to a coffee shop nearby and we just sit and have some connection over coffee. And it's amazing. Like what that does to start your day. All of a sudden you're just amped up. You've gotten your movement in, but you've disguised your movement as this fun game. So it didn't even feel challenging and hard, which is a whole nother topic we can dive into. But then we go and just have awesome conversation with really cool people. Like our, our friend JT Barnett joined us last yesterday. It was amazing. Like it was so fun just sweating with him and then talking TikTok and all this other like brand strategy afterwards uh, was super refreshing. And I was like, what did every business meeting, business meeting, quote unquote, was set up that way? Like just sweat, have fun, and then sit down and talk the nitty gritty. It becomes a lot easier. Yes, that is so true. And like, uh, yeah, cool that you brought up JT because, for example, I think when the lockdown first happened, it was like the first week of it when I got introduced to JT and we had a Zoom. And I remember him telling me, I was talking about like how I just kind of like to work on my own and like do my yeah. own thing. And he was talking about, he's like, oh, I need people. Like he's like missing going to the office as they used to have like a different office space. And they used to have, you know, some people who were helping uh, with reset at that time and different things. And uh, it got me thinking from then on, I was like, I'm going to try to connect with like new people every week. And then I started doing like Instagram lives every week and started doing these different things to bring connection into my life. And I realized that was something that I was missing. Like I've always, especially being an individual sport athlete, have that lone wolf mentality. Like I can just do this on my own. I always work from home, like whatever. And I was like, no, I am missing some of those things. And it was funny because I was telling you before this, that we were, uh, we'd had no water uh, at the end of last week. And so our landlord came over we're renting this house and he came to, to look at things, I think on Saturday. So we all had our masks on. He came inside to check it out. And it was so funny because when he left, my boyfriend just looked at me and we could tell we were on the same wavelength. And he was like, he was like, oh, I wish I could have just like offered him a beer and told him to stay. And I was like, how funny, because we're both like 
even in the past have been just like, oh, it's fine if we just, you know, I like my time alone. I like to, I lived alone for a while, which mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Um, and he's kind of similar. And so it was just funny how he's like, he liked that social connection, just to having anyone to talk to because it's been so long. And so we ended up texting a friend and meeting up with a bunch of new people in the area to play some spike ball in, in like a baseball diamond. And we only had like an hour to do that before we had to go like pick up dinner. But I was like, wow, that felt really good. Like it felt really good just to, you know, just talk to, to new people, to just play a game, have different conversations, like just be around different energy. And so Mm. I think that's very undervalued. And it's something that I think, you know, most people will be excited to get back to whether they did that before or not once, you know, this pandemic is over. Well, I think even to like your point there, like I'm very introverted too, because of swimming, like 90% of my workouts were head was in the water. I can't talk to anyone. Um, but I think all of us have two sides of the coin. Like we still need to fill that cup, whether we realize it or not. And that's why I missed swim practice so much was, I mean, yes, 90% of my time was face was in the water, but the other 10%, I was with some of my best friends and we were talking and chatting and probably very similar to you, like in between runs, being able to talk with your friends that were also doing it. It's like, wait a second. It's not, why did we overcomplicate things? Like, why do we think we need to do do lone wolf and just like go about it by ourselves? Like, what if we start to collaborate a little bit more, you know, like, and that's why I love podcasting. I'm sure that's probably what you found too. Like you're, you're not a full-time podcaster, but it's definitely a valuable part of your overall brand. It fills that need to have that social communication. You know what I mean? That's exactly it. It's just awesome to talk with new people and experience different energies, different thoughts, different conversations, uh, and expand that zone from, you know, just your direct location, or as well as now with the lockdowns, not even being able to see people in your direct or your close location, you know, being able to have these conversations is just so valuable. Um, especially, yeah, it's been really valuable for me, but I'll, I'll touch on that lone wolf thing. Cause if anyone else is like listening to this and they're like, Oh, that's me. Like, I just still like to just be on my own. I'll challenge that thought because I thought that was me for a long time. And similar to you, like whenever I was competing at my highest level in CrossFit, and uh, I am trying to see if we'll, we'll make a little bit of a comeback, but we'll see. It, it, I was still, I was doing my own programming, but I was still around other people and they were all pursuing their goals. So it made me think that like, oh no, I just like to do my own thing and be on my own because I'm doing something on my own there. Right. But then when I've experienced just training alone completely, I'm like, Oh, my energy, my motivation, like it's just not there as much as if I could still do my own thing, but I'm surrounded by other people's energy who are all still trying to pursue that top level. We're all chatting in between sets or even I might have my headphones in and do my own workout completely, but I'm still around that energy, seeing other people do similar things, listening to their conversations. It's like, for example, people who like to go to a coffee shop, even mm. though they may have their headphones in and do their own thing, there's a reason why that might be more effective for them than just working at home in silence. Um, Cause you're just around these different energies. And so if anyone else is thinking, well, I do swimming and I just like to put my head down. It's like, but there's still that like 10%, 5% of the time that you're with other people or just even having those other people around you, their presence, there is like some benefit to that. And there's a reason why that does matter. Oh, 100%. I mean, even in swim practice, like I live with two guys that I grew up with since nine years old. And we actually reminisced for our hundred, my hundredth episode on the athletic mindset um, about how we would just like, the nonverbal communication skills between us is through the roof because we've been nonverbally communicating with each other or against each other um, since nine years old. And it's, it's really cool to see, like, even though a lot of practice, it was like, I need to put my head down and worry about me. It was still like, well, what are Jack and Jorge doing? Like, and I'm feeding off of their energy. Like when Jack was having a great great practice, like, so was I. Um, And that, goes a a very, very long way. And that's environment, right? Like environment, I think is everything. And if you can intentionally engineer your environment, knowing like what you really thrive in, I encourage people to do so. And maybe at first it might feel like, well, we're in lockdown. We got all these things. I would challenge you to just pause for a second and really take a look at, okay, how can we get creative? How can we make this super novel? I mean, Zoom, 
game changer, right? Social yeah. media, yeah. make it social, like actually interact with people on there and do so from a space of you both are clear with your intentions and you know, like why you're doing it uh, rather than just going on and mindlessly scrolling. Yeah. Oh yeah. So beneficial. Like the other day I did, uh, we were allowed group workouts outside over here. They're actually, you're not allowed group workouts on the other province, provincial side, but here you are. And, uh, one of my friends, he like leads kind of like a fitness community here. I think they're in the works of building a gym, uh, hopefully soon. And, uh, yeah, so he did this class. There was only like maybe three or four of us there, but it was just, just that environment and then getting coffee after. And even though everything's social distant and different, it was just being around people again. It just, it does make a difference. Um, mm -hmm. And even if you are someone who like, you you are doing your own thing. And so you can't always do it around people. Even just once a week, somehow having some sort of community or accountability or conversation, it is important to foster. Oh, 100%. And I always tell people like what gets scheduled gets done. So if that's an, a priority to you, like, schedule it in. It sounds crazy, but like I schedule in, you know, me time into my calendar as a reoccurring event, like seven days a week to make sure that like it actually gets taken care of and I'm filling that cup. Um, so it's, that's been a great game changer for me. Yeah. I think I've seen, I think you made a post about that recently about, yeah, just what if you scheduled your own time for yourself before the rest of, of, your day, your commitments, whatever it is, work, business, sport, competition. And I think that is so important. And I think, you know, it's a reason why a lot of people, they wake up and they, maybe they slept in, they snooze their alarm. So then they check their phone, they check social media. So then all of a sudden they're getting their energy impacted by other people, other, you know, news stories, whatever that is. And then they have to rush off to work. But even if you, you don't have to wake up at 5am, but if you start work at like, let's say you start at 10, you could even sleep until like eight, but if you can just give yourself that like half an hour, um, whatever time that you can give yourself, it just makes, it makes such an impact to have some sort of control before you like give your day to other people or to other demands or whatever else. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the phone. Like I noticed such a difference in my day when <laughs> the first thing I grab is my phone versus like waiting 30 minutes or an hour my best days are honestly the days that I can prolong that phone as long as possible because what the phone, as great as it has been for a lot of us, it also just puts us in this uh, reactive state Yeah. right from the jump, from the minute that we wake up. Um, that's why I shifted to an analog alarm clock recently because I was like, I don't even want to be tempted. How many of us have that subconscious behavior, right? Like we shut off our phone alarm and somehow we ended up on TikTok five yeah. videos deep in the your for you page. Like, what? Like how? And like these apps are literally designed to do that for us. Um, so if we're able to combat that by being proactive with little things, buying a ten dollar alarm clock on Amazon or something like that, setting some clearer boundaries of like, okay, I'm gonna be proactive going through my day. It's amazing that that shift that happens similar to like our point earlier of the marathon. Like if we're being proactive and like just enjoying the moment, enjoying this mile that we're on, whatever, rather than being reactive to like, Oh my gosh, like I need to drink water now. And all these things, like the race is going to unravel really, really quickly. Just like your day is going to unravel really, really quickly. If you're constantly reacting to that email that just got sent or that text that came through in the middle of the night, take some time to repair and then go into it. Right. Yeah. Because it takes energy to be reactive. And so if you can like fill up your cup or charge your battery before you go into those situations, you're just going to have better control over your emotional response to those reactions and just have just more energy to deal with some of those things in your day to day. So that's so important. And that leads into like these final couple questions that I always end things with. And the first yeah. one is, out of all the things that you do in your day, like all your daily habits, what is the one biggest game changer for you? I mean, just given our background movement to some extent and um, re mentally reframing what that gets to look like each day. Um, it's kind of the beauty. Of, like I love training for something, but I hate the um, rigidness that that provides sometimes of like, you have to go for a 10 mile run today. Or you have yeah. to, it's like movement can be whatever you want it to be. Like listening to your body, 
maybe it's a walk, maybe today it's, you know, an animal flow mobility practice and that's what your body needs. Like, awesome. Tune into that. But movement's been an absolute game changer. Just being very intentional of having some form of that every day. Yeah, that's just so important. And you definitely, you notice it. I think uh, people overlook it. Like they, maybe they retire from sport or they're just someone who never exercised and they wonder like, why are some of these things happening? Like, I'm not feeling so great, whatever it is. Oftentimes we'll like, okay, well, uh, maybe it's my environment. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's this, but we kind of overlook some of those things sometimes where maybe it is our diet has changed and food inflammation, those things affect us for sure. But maybe mm. it's also that you just stop moving or you never started a movement practice. And so test some of those things out, like get into movement and see how much better you do feel. Cause it's, it is one of those things just like meditation, just like practicing gratitude that is scientifically studied. Like there, it's not like someone is just giving you anecdotal evidence. Like there is studies of the brain of the chemicals released of these changes and movement, meditation, gratitude journals, all these things that they actually do provide. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's actually funny. The book that I just finished up was The Art of the Impossible by Stephen Coulter, um, which was a great read. Definitely recommend. But he talks about the non-negotiables of flow state and exercise movement is one of them. The other two you just hit on, a daily gratitude practice, a daily um, mindfulness practice as well. Um, and sleep was the, the fourth one. And it's so funny because when any of us experience anything in life that's stressful, those are usually the first four things to go, right? Like the moment we get hit with a deadline of our work, we're like, I'm just going to sacrifice sleep. I'm going to sacrifice, I guess my workout's not happening today or whatever. Notice what that does to your overall well-being. And like, it's okay if that happens from time to time, but if you really want to hit strides and flow state in your day-to-day life like those things need to be anchors in your schedule not things that are wishy-washy moving around whenever things get busy yeah so true and yeah it's it just spirals down right like it's like stress causes us to sleep less but sleeping less also causes stress and it just goes down and down and down and so like recognizing that and trying to like interrupt that pattern uh, when it's happening is just an invaluable skill for sure. Um, okay. Last question is if you could like, you're, you're at the end of your life, you're looking back on all the things that you've done. What would be the impact that you wanted to have made in just one word? Growth. Mm, I like it. I want, I want people, I want to empower people to, live that growth mindset of just wherever they're at now, whether it's good, bad, ugly, there's room for growth and take that as you will. You can express gratitude for where you're at if you're happy with where you're at, but there's still room for growth. I think that's the athletic mindset too, you know? Yeah. 100%. 100%. Well, that that's, this has been awesome. This has been so great to, to jam out on all these different topics. I hope that anyone listening got a ton of value from the things that you've shared from mental health to movement, to um, your own experiences with changing your environment and with competition and the marathon and all those great things. So really appreciate everything you're doing uh, with your work, as well as coming on and sharing this time with me. Where can people find you and learn more about what you do? Yeah. Well, Natalie, thank you for having me. I love I love what you've built with your platform. So I appreciate it. Um, If those listening in can find me on Instagram at Corey camp, no E in my name. Uh, And then CoreyCamp.com is my website. And then I host the athletic mindset podcast, which you'll be appearing on here soon. I can't wait for that episode to go live. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me. This has been great. And uh, yeah, everyone, if you want to check out what Corey is up to with, um, coaching with just sharing some awesome things on social media, definitely go check them out. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.